Amen. You know, uh, I've titled this Rated R for Redemption. But um, while we were raising our children, uh, we literally threw out our TV one week uh, because my kids were watching too much TV and I thought it was affecting them uh, emotionally, spiritually, and academically. And they were shocked when I threw it out. But what we wanted to do was limit the screen time. And I know parents, if you're here or if you're a child of a parent, your parents may be getting on you about screen time. But it was, it was a thing even back before there was computers, there was screen time, it was TV time. And we even applied to even a stricter standard for the movies that we went to see. You know, like uh, there's uh, PG and then there, there's G is general, good for everybody. Then there's PG, which is parental guidance. And then there's PG-13, which is you should be 13 years or older to go see that movie. And then there's uh, R, restricted. And then, of course, there's X, and we never went there. But, uh, but restricted was 17 and older. And so we would try to discern how are we going to... You know, what movies should we allow? Which movies should, which videos should we buy? And, you know, we, we were kind of in this uh, dilemma. And so we heard Focus on the Family. They were putting out a guide that told you exactly what was in the movie, how many curse words, what they were, how many times they used the Lord's name in vain. And I was shocked by how many times. I looked it up this week. You know, one of the big hit movies there, A Star is Born. Over a hundred times they use the F word. Over a hundred times. In nine, that's one a minute. And so, they're, they're, so you, can, you can still see this today. You, know, you can still see what's on a movie or what's the content. In, but what the other thing is we want to know what the theme of the movie was. What was it going to teach our children? And so we would hardly ever see an R-rated movie. I can't think of any time that we sent our kids to see an R-rated movie with us. But then, you know, as they get older, they make up their own choices, and we all do that. But I think it's helpful for us to learn how to discern what we allow our kids and ourselves to see. But when we come to the story of Rahab, I think the Bible is oftentimes R-rated. That there's things that happen, it's real life. It's things that people go through that are difficult and uh, are sometimes very, very hard on them. Uh, So when we come to the story of Rahab, we see that the Lord entered into her story and in her life, and her life was R-rated. She was a prostitute. There's no way to get around that. The Bible said Rahab was a prostitute. And so she was involved in sex trafficking. And so... uh, she was, her life was complicated. And uh, she may have been a victim at one time, but now she ran a brothel. And we come into this story, and what I love about the Old Testament and the New Testament, that it's R-rated, but it's R-rated for redemption, that it brings people out of a lifestyle and into the family of God. And that's redemption. When God brings us out of the darkness and brings us into the light, And God still does that today. And what's beautiful about the Bible is that it's written so honestly, it really shares what people are going through. It doesn't cover it up like Rahab was a prostitute, but she really wasn't a prostitute. No, she was. And so God is after people 
that are struggling. We saw that in uh, the Silver Lining Banquet. We heard stories of people that were addicted to drugs. And parents, when they were high on drugs, they actually stabbed their children. And realized when the blood was all over the place, when they woke up the next day, they found out what they had done. Some had even killed their wife. And so, but God rescued these children and brought them into silver lining. And he still is involved in a rescue plan. And he wants us involved with them. But let's take a look at Rahab and what this story has to teach us. Because I think there's some uh, applicable principles that we can learn from. First of all, Joshua has just gotten the order. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Joshua 1. Joshua had just gotten the order that they were supposed to take over the promised land, that they were supposed to enter and cross the Jordan River. And so God told them a number of times, be strong and courageous. Uh, Don't be afraid because I'm going to be with you. And then in chapter 2, we come to this place and it's right away, Joshua is sending spies into the land. And Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim and go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now we look at this, Joshua, if you understood and knew for so, you had that assurance that God was going to be with you, why do you send the spies in? Is this a lack of faith? Or is this for the people so that they could get, hear the report of what's going on in Jericho so they won't be afraid because they had been marching around in the wilderness for 40 years. They had never really done much battle at all. And so God is asking them to take over the, the land. There's a mixed reviews from different Bible scholars. Was Joshua afraid to make, take the next step? Or was he just doing what he had done, what Moses had done with him. But this time he sent out two spies, and he didn't make a big deal about it because he didn't know what they were probably what they were going to find out or what they were going to say. And then these two spies, of all places, they go to a brothel, to a a prostitute's house. Now, why would they do that? We don't understand other than probably this is a place that is probably safe for travelers or foreigners to go into. And so they went there and God in his sovereignty has this plan going on. He cares about Rahab. He cares about Rahab and her family. Now that's amazing to me because I would think that of all the people that God wouldn't care about, it would be Rahab. But no, that's just the opposite. And isn't that true? Is there sometimes when God surprises you at what he's doing? Or he surprises you at what he doesn't do, right? You thought that he should do this thing, intervene here, and he doesn't. And then you can't believe he intervened in another situation over here. Well, that's what the Bible says. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And we come to see and understand, and we're going to find out that Rahab plays an important and pivotal role in sending Jesus Christ our Savior. So God had this plan, and he's seeking out people to join him. He does the same thing today. 
So what happens here? So the king of Jericho finds out that two spies have entered in from Israel, and he wants them exposed. He wants to take them. And so here we go. This is an R-rated spy thriller, James Bond or something like that, right? So this is kind of like intense. So here comes the two spies are exposed. The king of Jericho knows it. He must have been informed about it. So he says, look at Rahab. I want you to identify them and send them to me. We're not going to let them go. They've come here to spy out the land. And so Rahab does something here. She has to make a choice. She has to make a choice on her loyalty and her allegiance. Who is she going to be loyal to? The king of Jericho, where she's lived all her life. Or is she going to be loyal to these two spies and the God that they serve? And so there's this choice that Rahab is going to have to make. And I find it fascinating that God does the same thing in our lives. I don't know about you, but I know there's times when God brings me up to a decision place in my life. And I have to decide, am I going to follow what God wants me to do? Or am I going to follow what other people or what I want to do? And the Lord brings us into those decisions, those valleys of decision. And for Rahab, this was one of them. And so what does Rahab do? She kind of tells him, well, no, they, they, they left. She lies. Are you surprised at that? I'm not. She's trying to get out of this situation. So she lies and says, no, they already left. If you go after him right now, you probably catch him. And so the king buys the story, sends people out to pursue him. The gate shuts and the spies are now upstairs on the roof. But Rahab does something. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who are living in this country are melting in fear because of you. She understood something. She saw that God, the God of the Israelites was up to something. Do you know any time that you're in a spiritual conversation and somebody talks to you about God or you get to talk to somebody about God and they begin to respond, you can be pretty aware that the Holy Spirit is at work in that conversation. And for Rahab, the Holy Spirit was working and he was God was drawing Rahab to himself. And she recognized this and began to talk with these spies. She reveals that she believes in the Lord. She actually believes that the Lord Jehovah has given the land to the Israelites. And then she begins to recount what she's heard. We understand, we've heard about 40 years ago, and this was 40 years ago. This was probably before... Rahab was ever born, but she heard the story of how they were delivered out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea. Then she brings up a story about two kings, Og and Shion, who were in the wilderness, who wouldn't let Israel cross, who later attacked them, and the Israelites defeated them. That was more recent, so maybe in her lifetime. 
But she understands and knows that God is real, and she's heard stories of that. So people have come back, and they've talked to her about this God that is real. You see, I believe there are people in our lives, in our families, God has been speaking to them. He's been showing them that he's real. He's been planting seeds. And there's sometimes when God wants to use you and I to plant another seed or actually to introduce them to the one that has been knocking on the door of their heart. And he wants to use you and me to do that. But are we open to that? It says here, uh, Rahab makes this other statement, For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. She says, not only are our hearts melting in fear, but I believe that your God, Jehovah, is God of heaven above and on earth below. And there were so many people who were worshiping so many different idols back then. This was a monumental revelation that Rahab took hold of and believed. And how did she do that? It was God's grace and his mercy over her life. And opened up her heart to the things of God. And then she confessed it. She says, I do believe. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness. And this word kindness is a word that's used always in a covenant with God in the Old Testament. Every time you see the word in English, loving kindness or kindness or mercy, it's this word hesed. And it means a covenant love that is unconditional, that is bound in kindness and forgiveness. And so now please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness has said to my family because I have shown kindness has said to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you'll save us from death. Now there's another thing about Rahab here. Here's this woman labeled a prostitute, probably labeled somebody that's life is no good And what does she have? She has love for her own family. This is not just about her getting saved. She's asking for these spies. I want you to save my mother, my father, my brothers, my whole family. I want them all to be saved. When you come and this city falls, I want you to swear to me. I want you to swear by the kindness I've shown you that you will show me that same covenant love When this happens, and the spies, of course, respond, Uh, they're in a difficult situation. But they respond that they will do what what she's asked. You know, people get into situations that are life and death situations. I remember when we went to Jordan and we heard the story of the man who, the Muslim man who became a Christian. And then when his wife found out and the brother-in-laws found out, they came out and they beat him up and they placed uh, their feet on his neck and were ready to kill him unless he renounced his faith in Jesus Christ. And he said, I can't do it. I will always believe in Jesus Christ. He's done something in my life. And I can't give him up for anything. And you know what this man did? When he went home, throughout the next weeks and months ahead, he led his wife to the Lord, he led his son, and he led his daughter to the Lord as well. His whole household was saved. Why? 
How did that happen? Because they saw the change in him and they saw that God was real. And there's times in our lives when God, we have to understand what is God leading me to do? Who are the sphere of influence that God wants me to reach out to? And we might be surprised sometimes at who he leads into our life. We could say, oh, that person, I ne- how could that person ever want to follow Jesus? And it may be that person at your work or at your school. But it also may be somebody right in your family that has never yet made that commitment to Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1, 13 and 14 says this, that God is on a rescue mission. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. So God has on his heart a mission. His mission is always to seek and to save those that are lost. His mission is always to reach out to people that need to know him. And then he invites us on that mission to do the same thing. Now it says, then the men said to her, this oath you made us swear, made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. So there was a condition to this covenant. And what she had to do was gather her family and she had to put a red cord outside the house. Somebody said, Al, I like your tie. I said, there's a reason why I'm wearing this tie. I want you to remember the red cord. (laughs) Right? The red cord that she let down. But it's also, some Bible scholars say, it's a symbol of redemption. The blood of Christ. The blood of the Lamb in the Old Testament was when the people came out of Egypt, what did they do? They put the blood on their doorposts. And right, and when the angel of death came over that place, their firstborn was safe. Their family was safe because they put the blood up. And here is Rahab. She doesn't have any way to sacrifice any type of animal, but she can do this. She said, okay, I'll put the cord out and I'll gather my family and we'll come inside this house. And when you attack us, My family will be safe. It was amazing that the walls of Jericho were so large that she could have her house inside the wall. They said that it was built actually an outer wall and an inner wall. Uh, Rahab was on the outer wall, probably the most unsafe place to be if there was any attack. And her window was out there. But it was actually God's sovereignty that she was placed in that house at that place in that specific time And that it was flaxseed harvest. You know, like they were harvesting flax. And what they would do is they would take the flax and they would make clothes out of it. And what they would do is they would water it down and they would put it up on their roofs to dry. And while it was drying, these spies hid under there. It was probably pretty smelly. I mean, have you ever smelled hay that gets wet? It kind of stinks. And yet they had to hide there. But God, in his sovereign plan, had the flax harvest at that time, had Rahab living on that, in Jericho at that time, and had mercy and kindness on her life. God is amazing when he goes after people. And all she had to do was make sure that she put that red cord out and that she also 
had her family there. And what did she say? Agreed. She replied, let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. And so she obeys what they have said. And she, she does it in a way that it's obvious that she's placing her faith in the Lord God. Now, what do we do today? The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved, for it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. You don't have to wear a red tie to be saved, right? Because none of you guys would make it today, right? Nobody else has a red tie. But we confess with our mouth Jesus is the Lord. Believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and then we will be saved. For it's with the heart that we confess and believe. With our mouth we confess and with the heart we believe and are saved. And this is what uh, Rahab did. She had that heart to seek after God. And God honored that in her life. Jesus' mission is still the same, Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. God is still on this mission field. He is still pursuing people. And that's what was so beautiful about what we saw about silver lining even last week. And God gives us these pictures. You know, every time we have people come in, whether it's, you know, people from the mission field or it's people that you hear about, He's inviting us to join him on what he's doing to seek and to save the lost. And so we have an opportunity to do that. And I was so glad that so many people responded to that and actually gave for the ministry of silver lining. But God has other missions feel for us to do. You know, we have a concert coming up here on December 1st. And it's a Christmas concert, but it's for people to enter into this uh, into the sanctuary, into the church to hear a Christmas concert, but there will be a message of Christmas that I'll give, a short message about the true meaning of Christmas. You know what's amazing about this? We started teaching a Bible study on Thursdays down in um, uh, Babylon, North Babylon, and uh, it's retired people, but you know how they first heard about our church? They came to the Christmas concert. Now they're in a Bible study, And this is the first time they've ever been in a Bible study. So you see how God uses the networks and the links of how he gives us opportunity to reach out to people. So maybe that would be a way that you can um, be involved in God's mission to seek and to save the lost. Another thing is the 21 days of prayer that's coming up. I believe that God can use that, the 21 days of prayer, for us to concentrate, to intentionally concentrate and focus our efforts on prayer. It's amazing when you come before the Lord, when you put aside some other things and you just come before the Lord and you say, Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me to understand what you want to do. Now, a lot of times I know in my life I have to be intentional about it. And one of the things, that's why we have 21 days of prayer. It's really for me. And I hope it's really for you. Because I need to be intentional about praying. And I need a push to pray that way. And I'm sure you do too. And so this is an opportunity when we can come together and pray together. 
Why, Al? Why would we do that? Because God can do amazing things when we're in his presence. He can do things in our lives. He can speak to us. He can show us things that we haven't seen before outside of his presence. And you can learn things from the way that people pray for you. We were just at a district conference and praying with pastors. And God gave words to people and uh, messages to people that were just unbelievable. The way that God worked and used through the prayer meeting. Just through three people praying together. Hey, pray blessing on the other person that you're with. Two people pray a blessing over them. And sometimes the people would pray specifically for things that that other person had no way of knowing. See, the Holy Spirit was leading and encouraging. God does that. So what about Rahab? What is so important about her? Well, she's mentioned three times in the New Testament. So God had this plan for her and her family, but why? Why was God reaching out to her? Well, he was also including her in his redemption plan for the whole world. That she just wasn't somebody that was, he had pity on because she was a prostitute, but he actually transformed her life. She ended up leaving the life of prostitution and then marrying a man named Salmon. And then it says here in Matthew chapter 1 verse 5, she's in the New Testament, says Salmon was the father of Boaz, who was the mother, whose mother was Rahab. So she was Boaz's mother. I don't know if you know the story of Ruth, but uh, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And we know that Jesus is often referred to as the son of David. Yeah, Hosanna, Hosanna. The son of David. So the seed of David, so the lineage came down through the tribe of Judah and Rahab was linked into that tribe. That's amazing, isn't it? That God would use her. And then it says here, right at the end of of, uh, Matthew's genealogy, says, thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. And so what he's saying is, there's this lineage that happens, and Rahab is one of the people in there. If you look at that lineage of Matthew, he also includes Tamar. uh, And then he also includes Ruth, a Moabitess. And so people that had no identity with Israel, they were brought in to the family of God. Surprisingly, if you look at their stories. So Rahab was an integral part of God's plan to send Jesus to save us from our sins. Most would label her an insignificant prostitute in a large city. But God found her, he saved her, he made her his daughter, and he used her in a big way in his plan for all eternity. You know, God does the same thing with us. We don't have to live a life of sin or walk away from the Lord. God can use you and impart to you his purpose and his plan for your life. Even at a young age, I tell young people this all the time, don't wait to follow God's plan until you're older These are the days when you make decisions for Jesus Christ that will impact your life. But not only your life, it'll impact other people. If you think about Rahab and you think about her family and how many generations that impacted, that decision that she made to follow God impacted not only herself, 
but also her entire family, generations later, and then even the whole world. God has a plan. You know, when we get up into heaven, we're going to see if you lead one person to Christ in your lifetime, and hopefully you'll lead more people to Christ than just one person, but you're going to see the ripple effect that they had in their life and then who they reached out to and who they touched. And one day in heaven, it's all going to be revealed. And that's why we need to get on God's plan, redemption plan, his R-rated redemption plan. He has a purpose for it. James 2.25 brings up Rahab again. In the same way, Rahab, even Rahab the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. It's talking about faith and works. Even Rahab took that step of faith and God used her. Even Rahab. Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. The chapter of the hall of faith where it talks about all the great men and women of God. Rahab is listed in the hall of faith. In that chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. So what do you need to do? What are some action steps that you can take and some practical things that we can do together to actually put in to practice what we learned from Rahab? Well, one of the things is this. First of all, have you taken the first step of faith in placing your allegiance and love in Jesus Christ? Rahab had the choice. Right? God brought all these circumstances together. God brought her to the, those two spies to that place, to that house at that time during that flax harvest season. And God orchestrated all of it for her to make the decision. And she chose to place her allegiance in God, into the Lord God. The same thing happens to us. Who are we placing our allegiance in? And then after we do that, what doesn't stop there, how does the Lord want to use you to help rescue others. And that's something that we can be praying about these next 21 days. We call it inside-out praying. So we look first inside at our own lives. And we were talking about this in Sunday school. What could be the things that are preventing us or blocking us from hearing God and following God fully in our lives? And allow God to reveal those things. Sometimes you'd be surprised at what he says. It's not so much the behavior as at what's behind the behavior. It can be fear. It can be we're believing a lie. It can be we're thinking that God doesn't love us when he really does love us and wants to use us. And so when those things are revealed by the Holy Spirit, he'll bring in confirmation, validation about who you are in Christ. And he wants to do that in our lives. And then the last thing is this. Discover what your next action step of faith is and then take it. What is the next step that you're going to take? You know, maybe for some people it's baptism and they're saying, okay, I'm going to take that next step of baptism. For others it may be, you know, I think it's about time I officially became a member of the church and actually joined and participated. For others it's, I want to take a step and serve. I want to help in some way in the ministry. And, uh, or it may be to give financially to God's work like we did last, last week. Whatever that is, begin to understand and know what that next step is. And when you do that, you're going to discover the, the beauty of God's redemption plan for you, but not only for you, but for other people as well. Let's pray.
Father, we uh, come before you and uh, we're humbled by the grace that you show Rahab, but Lord, we're humbled even in ourselves because we're not, we're just as guilty as Rahab is of sin in our lives, and yet you pursue us, uh, you go after us, you seek us, and you save us. So, Lord, we can give you thanks and praise for all that you have done in our lives. Lord, you have redeemed us, and we're on this redemption road, but, Lord, we don't want to go it alone. We want to see our family and our friends, other people that you could sovereignly intersect with our lives, as you did the spies with Rahab. Lord, we want to walk into those things that you have designed and prepared for us to do. So would you show us that, Lord? In these next 21 days of prayer and fasting and seeking your face, Lord, I pray that you would uh, place within us a desire uh, to, to know you more, to know you more intimately. And so, Lord, have your way today, we pray in Jesus' name. Would you please rise? As we think about the uh, story of Rahab as, and as we enter into a 21-day of fasting, let's start, let's start from the cross. Come near, earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. All who are broken. Lift up your face, O oh, wanderer, come home, you're not too far, so lay down your heart, lay down your heart, come as you are. Those who strain, come sit at the table, come taste the grace, this rest for the weary, rest that endures. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can cure. So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. Who are broken? Lift up your face. Oh, wanderer, come home. 
today, I would like us all to just sit down, and I'd like us all to um, just focus on the Lord right now, and to start off our uh, 21 days of prayer, I want you just to uh, focus on the Lord as they sing this next song, and in your heart, you come to the altar as God leads you. You can come right where you're sitting, or if you want to come forward and pray, you can, but um, this is a time for you and the Lord to talk to each other um, and just begin this process of allowing him to look inside your heart, look inside your soul, and do that work in your life. Okay. Bring 
your sorrow and trade them for joy. From the ashes a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was brought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a Savior! Isn't He wonderful? Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Bow down before Him, for He is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Savior, isn't He wonderful? Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Bow down before Him, for He is Lord of all. Precious blood of Jesus Christ. Bear your cross as we wait for the crown. Tell the world of the treasure you found. Father, we thank you. We praise you for inviting us to your altar, for inviting us to a place where we can be fed, where we can drink from the water of life that can quench the thirst in our soul. Uh, so, Lord, we pray that you just continue to lead us to that, continue to work in our lives. Thank you for every person that is here today. It's not by accident that you've brought us here. It's your divine plan. And Lord, just have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.